It's the last day of school. You remember the feeling, right? Even if it's not the last day of school for you. It's a great feeling. It's an amazing feeling. We'll talk some education type stuff in the next hour. Because there are a few things I want to get to. I want to get to what some teachers have been facing in the classroom. That I don't know how to fix it. Because fixing it means saying... Yeah, we're going to take you, but we're not going to take you. And you can't do that in our world anymore. You'd like to be able to say so. And on that same vein, we need to explore the average awards. You know what these are now. The thing that's bothered me the most in watching my kids come through school, there's really only one thing. I've actually enjoyed the school system. They've had some great teachers. They have people they still keep in touch with, go for coffee with even. I mean, phenomenal. Better than I could have expected. And I was kind of a cynic going in. The one thing that bothers me is the push toward the lowest common denominator and celebrating the lowest common denominator and sharing all of the successes. I don't like that. I I don't like that at all. I don't like the fact that people are celebrated for being not the best of the best. Because typically one person will scoop up the best of the best in a number of categories. You know, the athletics category? Ah, they sweep it. If you have one or two great academics, ah, they're winning everything. And we seem to have a push to say, oh, that's that's not good. You know, everybody should be celebrated. and. I don't like that. I don't think it pushes people to be their best. There are those who will never hit a certain academic level, who will never hit a certain athletic level, who will never hit a certain artistic level. I completely appreciate that. But then we wind up rewarding people who really haven't done anything to merit being rewarded. There was a joke in the movie Incredibles, long, long time ago, and that joke was, you know, uh, Mr. Incredible, I think, wasn't going to be able to make it to his son's fourth grade graduation, and his question was, what do you mean, fourth grade graduation? Why are we celebrating somebody graduating the fourth grade? That's just something you do, and I think there's too much of that right now, and I think the, the real push to say, okay... Let's let's take you and, and make sure you're striving to be the best that you can be, whatever that is. That's lost. And we'll talk with somebody in a little while. And I, I don't want to say, hey, let's just reward the people who are the best athletes and the best in artistic fields and the best academics. That's not what this is. Later on this hour, we're going to talk with somebody who is going to poke holes at the way we measure, the way we look at each other and say, that's wrong, and that's not the way we should be doing things. So that's coming up. So I want to get into all of those topics, and I also want to think a little bit, based on some conversations that I've had, about what next year might look like in education, or what the future might look like in education. You want to know worst-case scenario? Worst-case scenario, and... I don't have anybody from the government who has said this or anybody from the school board who has said this, but you can see the way things are going. We have seen 
the clamps put on certain things. We've seen the brakes put on certain things. Now we're about to enter quite the battleground between the government and educators. And it's going to get ugly. I don't know how quickly. Today's the last day of school. Are we at the start line? I don't know. It's going to get ugly. We're going to hear words, and we've talked about this on London Live before. We're going to hear words like work to rule. We are going to hear words like strike or potential strike. We're going to hear that. But here's my concern about the worst case scenario that could come. Worst case scenario is we do start to see the end of more things. We have seen cutbacks in the past take away a lot of music instruments. One of the things that the Junos did so well was draw our attention to organizations that aim to put instruments back in schools. You've got some schools who have them. You don't have every school that has a music program or bands have kind of gone by the wayside compared to what they used to be. And that's that's a travesty. But that's the beginning. I wonder when the day is, if it will come, that we don't see clubs and we don't see high school sports. That if you want to play a sport, you have to do it at the club level. We've got a lot of that going on right now. Hockey typically is a club level sport. There is high school hockey. London, believe it or not, is one of the rare instances that you have great high school hockey everywhere. There are a lot of cities that do not have that. There are a lot of areas that just do not have that. London's high school hockey is renowned for being amazing. It is. And a lot of that goes to educators who've taken the time to keep that tradition going. To the coaches who say, yeah, I'm going to give of my time. And I wonder how that time is going to be managed given this fight that we're about to see between the government and the education system. I wonder what's going to happen. But in my mind, that's the worst case scenario. I don't know how close we are to getting to it, but it's out there. Work to rule? Yeah, that's out there. Potential strike? Sure. That's out there. And we'll talk more about that a little later on. We're also going to talk with Maggie Friesen, who right now is a student, and she's going to be competing in the 2019 World Skills Competition. I love this. I didn't know this existed until Maggie, who attends Fanshawe, was included in it. I had no idea. You know what the World Skills Competition is? They basically take trades and people studying in trades and they host a competition featuring those trades. And in this particular case, the competition is being held in Kazan, Russia in August. Comes up every two years. Maggie is going to be taking part. And Maggie's specialty is painting vehicles. It's phenomenal. It's a great story. We'll talk about that in a little while. And we're also going to look at finally some optimism, believe it or not. Optimism when it comes to the foods that we are eating. No, 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 no. There's no optimism there. No, that's that's all pessimistic stuff because type 2 diabetes is growing and obesity is out of control. Those things are true and maybe they're not changing. Hard to tell. You know, watch as the data comes in. But we're going to speak with someone who is optimistic, and he has just dug into all kinds of numbers about the bad foods that everybody is putting into their bodies. But he has a silver lining, and I can't wait to hear it. And that will come up in a little over an hour from now. So lots to do on the show. One of the things that we've been doing all this week, and we are going to do not once but twice today, is give you an opportunity to win tickets to go and see the Rolling Stones this weekend. 
And as a thank you for listening right off the bat on London Live, we're going to give you a chance to win those Rolling Stone tickets now. In two days, the Rolling Stones play in Ontario. You may know this already, but you have an opportunity to win tickets to go and see the Rolling Stones. So here's the way it's going to work. We have lyrics set aside. They are of a Rolling Stones song. We will open the phone lines at 519-643-2222. You listen to the lyrics. If you are the first person to identify the song that those lyrics come from, then you are off to see the Stones at Burles Creek this weekend. They will be there with the Glorious Sons, the Beaches. Sloan is going to be there. I mean, this is a great, great bill. One Bad Son and a late night party with Dwayne Gretzky. Remember, it's Dwayne Gretzky, not the guy who, I think, he was he on the Stephen Colbert show recently, Wayne Gretzky? But this is a late night party with Dwayne Gretzky. So, 519-643-2222. Here are the lyrics that you must identify. I've been running hot, you got me ticking, going to blow my top. Oh, that's a quick one. Can we hear that one more time? I've been running hot, you got me ticking, going to blow my top. <laughs> if you know what song those lyrics come from, and it is a Rolling Stones song, then let us know. 519-643-2222. We'll take a break and return with more in a moment. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. All right, I do believe we have someone who knows the Rolling Stones song that we were looking for. Win, give it to us. It's uh, start me up. You are exactly right. Congratulations. Thanks. You are off to see the Rolling Stones this weekend, my friend. Okay, cool. I've All seen right. them a couple times before. Yeah, and what are they like in concert? They're pretty good. Yeah? Enjoy it. How recently did you see them? Uh, I guess Steel Wheels. Okay. Time ago, yeah. All right, that's that's good. Well, you know what? They may play some tunes from Steel Wheels this weekend. You'll be there to find out at Burroughs Creek. Hang on, we'll get some information from you. Enjoy the weekend. Thank you very much. Easy as that. And guess what? Later on in the show, we will have another opportunity for you to win tickets to go and see the Rolling Stones. And then we'll have another opportunity for you to win tickets to see the Rolling Stones tomorrow. And then we'll be out of Stones tickets. I really think so. If we can possibly drum up any more, I'm sure we'll give them away. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to be the limit right there. So let's move to something else that I'm still scratching my head over. You've heard the story, and it probably stuck with you. Came out a few days ago. A woman on a flight to Toronto. And lands in Toronto. She'd fallen asleep and gets left on the plane from St. Thomas. Now, we haven't heard too much from her. There was an initial story, and I'm imagining that the reason we haven't heard too, too much is this may have become a legal matter because she was vocal about it, a friend of hers was vocal about it on Facebook, and then all of a sudden everything went quiet. And earlier this week, all of our producers, everybody reached out and tried to Say, hey, if you want to talk about this, please, please do so. We'd like to talk about it. And as of yet, no such luck. And you think, wow, never heard of that before. Someone being left on a plane. She woke up and 
Nobody was there, and she couldn't get out. The plane was kind of locked down. They show you the emergency exits, but I don't think they work if the plane is off. Now, eventually, she did get out, and you think, well, that is some kind of wild story. I, that's, that's, there's no way that that could ever happen again, right? I mean, that's, that's a one in a million. You know, you better go and buy a lottery ticket, because, no, that, that's, that's not going to happen ever again. Enter today's news. Scariest time of my life. A woman who is 69 years of age and from Guelph, visually impaired, has other health issues, landed at Pearson International Airport. She had been in the Barbados, and she was left on the plane. Now, in a different way. She wasn't asleep. She needed wheelchair assistance and was told, hey, just sit in this seat and we'll come back for you. And nobody, apparently, came back. So now we have two stories of people being left on airplanes. And what that has prompted us to do at London Live is to write and record this song. I tried to fly two hours home from my vacation Pretty tired, fell asleep, pure relaxation Then I woke up, you should have seen my face I've just been left on a plane Try not to panic at the sight of empty seats Nobody in them anywhere except for me I started thinking This just ain't my day I've just been left on a plane Calling, yelling, please come help me No one answers, that's unhealthy Try the exits, nothing open Oh gee whiz, found a flashlight Got it working, this bird's empty That's for certain, sending signals SOS and there's no answer No one's coming Please be a dream My worst nightmare I can't get out And I am scared I'll do anything To get out of this place I've just been left on a plane What? Where am I? Where's everybody? Oh my god I think I've just been left on a plane The next time you are flying, remember that song and make sure when it lands and everybody applauds, you're one of the ones getting off the plane. Thanks to Eric Scott for the help with that. We have a number of things education-wise to discuss today on London Live. And I want to, first of all, give a hand to all of the educators out there because a lot of times they take more flack than they deserve. And I really believe that exists today. That it is as hard to be an educator as it has ever been. Because you're not dealing with the student in front of you. You're dealing with their whole lineage in behind them. 
So you are dealing with their parents. Sometimes you are dealing with their grandparents. And somebody put it pretty succinctly, and I really, really liked what they said. 30 years ago, and this may have been Bob. Bob, can I give you credit for this? 30 years ago, how did people react when they were told that their student, their child, their son or daughter was messing up? When they walked in the door, they would say, hey, I just got a call from the school. You're messing up. What are you doing? What is wrong with you? That was the attitude. Now, there has been a significant change in that that same son or daughter walks through the door and the attitude is, I just got a call from the school. They say you're messing up. Well, that's crazy. You wouldn't mess up. What are they talking about? No, th- this is not right. Oh, must be that teacher that doesn't like you. Oh, it, it's got to be that principal. You know, they, they've always had it in for you. I'm going to go and talk to them. And that's been the change in attitude. And that's how I feel that educators deserve a real hand for what they put up with. Because, you know, you don't have to pass a test to have a kid. And you should. But you don't. And there is a real change to my little honey bunch or my little cuddle bear or whatever they call their son or their daughter can do no wrong. When in actuality, that's not the case. I also believe kids are nicer these days. I really do. I believe that kids are better rule followers for the most part these days than they've ever been. And I think we're seeing an increase in that. So as much as you maybe don't have people going out to wreck things on purpose, there is still that divide. And if you have kids or grandkids, it's hard. It's almost like you have to bite your own hand when you hear, hmm, something's not going right at school. And it doesn't even have to be messing up. It can be a mark. Oh, what did you get on that test? You got a C. Oh, But I studied with you. I quizzed you. There is no way that you got to see. Let me see that. Oh, this has to be wrong. Was the teacher falling asleep when they were marking your paper? Is that what was I'm going to call them? And that's where we run into more problems. So with those things being said, we want to look ahead at a couple of things that we'll talk about after news. Those being awarding mediocrity, which I think does have to stop. We don't promote success enough and i don't mean success in the people who are getting 99 percent. i don't uh, that are the high school quarterback you know the the best basketball player on the girls basketball team that's that's not what i'm talking about we need to encourage people to try harder and i think we reward trying a little too much and then we'll talk with somebody who says, you know, it's not so much about that. It's the way that we're actually judging things and judging ourselves. So that's still to come. Before we go to news, though, let's say a very big Thursday hello on London Live to Marilyn. Marilyn, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. And I take my hat off to all the teachers. I had wonderful teachers, and I'm sure my children and grandchildren, too, have had wonderful teachers. I find the school system to be impressive. And I'm talking about the public school system, the separate school system, name it. The, the I don't know about the the systems that you have to pay $15,000 a year to attend, but the ones that are available to everybody, I think they're impressive. Well, if I if I got into trouble at school, I got into trouble at home. 
because my mother knew I was a little brat. So that's all there was. Marilyn, I can't imagine that's the case. Well, you didn't know me when I was little. I guess I didn't. No. And you're talking about, well, I guess it was the other show that was talking about footprints in cement. Well, my five-year-old footprint is still in a square of cement on Quebec Street. Would you believe that? Could I go and see that sometime? I don't care if you want to. But it's there to see on Quebec Street. There's a bunch of footprints? Well, not a bunch. There's just mine if it's still there. All right, I'm going looking for this. Oh, come on now. Come on, you're too busy a man. I will tweet out the picture at some point. Next time I'm driving by Quebec Street, and I I can go that way to work tomorrow. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to have a look. (laughs) You're a little nutty. (laughs) Marilyn? Thank you for letting us know that your footprint has seriously been placed on this city. We know you've got a footprint in this city. Now now we know you have an actual one. Well, I was just a little one then, and I didn't know. I just wanted to see if it was wet. You know, you're five years old, you do stupid things. Now, Quebec Street's not the shortest street. Um, No, it's from Oxford to... Dundas. Okay, so somewhere between Oxford and Dundas, Marilyn, I'm looking for a five-year-old footprint of yours. I'll do the searching tomorrow. Thanks for the call today. All right, dear. Love you. Love you. Bye-bye. We'll talk more education in just a little bit. And tomorrow, I am going looking for that footprint. If you happen to be on Quebec Street right now between Oxford and Dundas, can you check? Can you see if you see a footprint to see? Marilyn checked this out when she was five. Is it still wet? We'll take a break. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. Again, if you are anywhere near Quebec Street between Oxford and Dundas, we're searching for Marilyn's footprint. Left it in the cement when she was five and doesn't know whether it's still there. I'm searching tomorrow. Let's move on to something I want to talk about with regard to education. Now we've got everybody finishing up today, heading home from elementary schools. High school students are finished their exams. Many of them are even getting their marks. I always find that absolutely wild, that some schools, you'll be able to go and get your marks the day after you finish exams. A lot of them have been through awards ceremonies. And one of the things that has come up in the last little while is the sharing of awards. And this, I can tell you this from personal experience. I've, I've seen the sharing of awards, which, which is fine. But I want to ask you, do you believe that is something that should happen? And if so, do we do it at the elementary level, but then not later on? And by sharing awards, I mean, you sometimes have students who could win all of the awards. So you would have the same two students heading up and accepting those awards. Do you believe that's the right way to do it? To say, hey, they've earned it. They have the highest mark in history. They have the highest mark in this. They have volunteered the most. Whatever it is, whatever the award is for, do you believe that that person should get it? Or is it important to say to everybody, you know, here, I'm going to flip you a bone. I'm going to say, you know, you deserve something to hopefully get them to say, wow, I, I won an award, and this, this feels great, and it's inspiring me to be better, to do more. 
How do you think things should actually go? If we could take a magic wand, because I'm kind of torn on it. I really am. Because I can appreciate when someone maybe needs that boost and they're able to get that boost. But I also look at it and say, yeah, but you're taking someone who has tried very hard and done very well and telling them, okay, well, here's your award, but everybody else is going to get something too. Or a lot of other people who you have actually beaten or who you have tried harder than, they're going to be rewarded as well. How do you see that? Do you think there should be a clear cut, this is the way things are done? 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca or you can tweet me at Stubbs980. In rewarding individuals, because our world comes down to this, and I'll give you some some personal feedback on something. I teach at Fanshawe, so I've got a couple of courses. And whether this is right or wrong, this is after a few years of doing this, this is how I do it. If you have individuals who do not try or who are handing in half-assed stuff, I don't pay as much attention to them as I do the ones who are handing in good stuff and who are trying hard. If you, and I'll, I'll do it the same for the first couple of assignments. I'll give you a couple assignments. Show me what you got. But if I've got people who, eh, I didn't hand that one in because I just didn't. I didn't even tell you why. Didn't bother. Just didn't do it. Yeah. So if you've got that kind of a person, or if you're handing in something that's absolute junk because you just didn't, oh, I got to get this in for tomorrow. Oh, oh okay. Uh, here. Uh, there you go. I will stop giving as much attention to those people because I don't have the time for that. If you are working hard, absolutely. You'll get all the comments and the feedback in the world. But I'm not going to waste my time on somebody who has shown once, certainly twice, that they do not care. And again, I don't know if that's right, but I don't see that stretching through education. I think we still spend a lot of time because you don't want to leave anybody behind. And that's understandable, especially at young ages. But when do you get to the point where you have to say, do this? And if you're not willing to do it, smarten up. There have to be consequences. You can't fail anymore in school. And I'm not saying bring that back. But, you know, in, in terms of you lose a year. But you got to be able to fail. How many times do we see stories coming around where, you know, a school district will say, well, you can't give a zero anymore or you can't give an F grade anymore. That's uh, that's demeaning. Yeah, but they earned it. They earned it. I haven't done this in a while, but I used to like to give marks of three out of 100 or seven out of 100. I wouldn't give zero. It was worth a zero, but I would give you a small mark, a single digit, because I wanted you to go home and go, how did I get a seven? What? If you go home and get a zero, you knew you deserved it. But somehow, wait a minute, I got seven out of a How did I do that? And maybe you would try harder next time. 519-643-2222. Rick, how do you feel about this? Well, I think, you know, honestly, Mike, like, with all that, to me, it's a lot of political correctness, and I think we just got to stop rewarding failure. That's one thing, because it just sends out the wrong messages altogether. 
I agree. I mean, at some point, everybody who we're rewarding for failure or giving a break to for failure is going to turn 18 and is going to be hopefully living on their own and doing their own things. And they'll find out pretty quick the world doesn't reward failure. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it just, for some reason, they just think it makes life a whole lot easier for them. And, you know, you can't learn that way. There's no way. You, there's pitfalls that you, everybody has to go through. Absolutely. Thanks for the call today, Rick. Thank you. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. How do you feel about this, Bob? Oh, Mike, how you doing? Pretty good. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you, you, you know, we're we're just uh, giving our kids excuses to fail by giving them, you know, like trophies when they don't deserve it. Now, I remember when I was in high school, my graduating year in high school, I got forty nine out of fifty in math. That's pretty good, Mark. Exactly, and and I got it for two reasons. Because I didn't, I didn't put the effort in, and I was a bit of a smartass, and and that, so the teacher sent me a good message there. I'm going to give you a 49, and so that meant I had to go back to next year and repeat that course, right? So that that was a great lesson for me. Uh, to smarten me up in a lot of ways. And what did that do? This is interesting. Okay, I thought you said 49 out of 50. You're talking you got 49%. Oh, sure. Yeah, 49, sorry, 49 oh, okay. out of 100, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. oh, yeah, it woke me right up, and uh, it was a little bit embarrassing, right, because I couldn't graduate with my class that year, knowing I had to go back for one course to repeat it again, right, because uh, I didn't I didn't, I didn't, didn't get the, uh, the, the passing grade. Now, uh, you know, I remember when my son was young, he, when I think it was eight years old, anyways, he missed making the travel hockey team. Just missed it. And it really kind of devastated him, you know, at that age. His friends were all there. So we had a little chat, a little chat with him, and I, and I said to him, okay, so, yeah, you're disappointed. But if you want to make that team, Here's what you got to do. You got to work for it harder. Obviously, you, you, there's something you're lacking, so you need to to, to learn something uh, or get better. So I put him in a in a hockey school that summer, and he worked his tail off. And then the next year, he made the team, and he progressively just kept going. And it wasn't because of me. He put the work in, but I just suggested things and let him down that path. And when he got older, he became like a very good hockey player. He was a captain on his high school team and on his travel teams. And, you know, he just became, he knew what it took to get where you wanted to get. So that's what you have to teach your kids. It's good for them to fail and get disappointed, even at a young age, right? Then you have to guide them and be realistic and tell them the truth. You didn't get the part. You didn't make the team or whatever. Another thing I remember when I was in, uh, in high school, I'm not sure if you remember this, but they used to have this uh, participation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sit-ups, and push-ups, pull-ups. Exactly. And so you, everybody in the school went through it, right? And at the end of the day, when you were done <clears throat> all the activities, they would grade you. You either got a gold, a silver, or a bronze. That's it, based on what the criteria was for you to get each one of those levels, that's what you landed up with. Not everybody got a gold and, you know, to make everybody feel fuzzy and warm. And so, you know, and then you look at that and your buddy gets a gold and you get a 
silver or bronze, you know, and, and you're going like, geez, maybe I got to, uh, you know, if I want to be at the top rung, I better I better improve on something. And it was cut and dried. I mean, that excellence or the gold award was 60, I think it was 60 push-ups in a minute, 60 sit-ups in a minute. I mean, these were these were not easy things to attain, but you're right. You measured yeah. it, and Bob, you know, you hit on it right. It, it's not that it's, it's bad to fail. It's great to fail. It is, though, it can be bad to fail if you don't have someone there, and you use the word, to guide you through what has just happened. Happen. Bob, thanks for that. All right. Have a good weekend, Mike. Bye-bye. You too. 519-643-2222. Brian, your thoughts on this? Hey, how's it going today, Mike? Pretty good. Uh, you want to look at it from the uh, other side of the coin, too. It is bad to give kids uh, awards and whatnot uh, for something they didn't earn because that teaches bad habits. But on the other side of the coin, you got the kid who busted his butt, and he's getting the same award as some other kid that didn't. Uh, you can look back in history. This is one of the big problems with communism is no one excels because everybody gets the same. <laughs> so why would you go out of your way to become the best at something when you're not going to get recognized for it? And I find that's more of a problem than uh, teaching kids that uh, they, they can get something for nothing. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it is difficult, you know, and it's difficult because of the the way that that could work. You've got somebody who is instantly brilliant. I didn't study for that exam, and they get a great mark, and then they're kind of rewarded for not studying, whereas the person who, like you say, busts their butt and does the same thing, you know, what what lesson are they learning? Yeah, it's not like uh, in university, uh, quantum mechanics class, they're going to take everyone's grade and average it and just give that to everyone, because then... Who would try? And then everybody would fail, right? Right. So you you've got to you've got to inspire brilliance. Is the best way to put it. You you you've got to give everyone, like kids, adults, everyone, something to aspire to, or they'll just fail. Brian, thanks for the call. Cheers. Brian makes some great points, and. It'll dovetail into something that we are going to do probably in about 15 minutes from now, and that is talk with Gustavo Rossetti, and he's the CEO and founder of Liberationist. Now, what he has done is he's looked at measurements and how we measure ourselves, and he's got some unique thoughts on that that I want to share, more as more as a conversation starter, one of those dinner table things. Hey, guess what I heard? Uh, that kind of thing. So that will come up in about 15 minutes from now. We can continue this conversation in just a moment. Let's take a break. This is London Live and Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We've been talking about rewarding certain things. Should you spread around awards everywhere so that everybody feels a little bit better because they get an award. And even trying to do that, you know, I always, I always wonder about this. When you spread it around and you don't really have any repeat winners, and some schools will do that, you still have people who don't win awards. And, you know, where does that leave them? Your, your whole process is kind of destroyed. The thing that it becomes really touchy with is when there is money involved. And you know that at the end of high school, there are things like scholarships and there is money involved. And that's when things can get really touchy and, and yeah, they can get a little nasty sometimes. And that's out there. And I, I still believe that if you've got an award, 
you've got to do your best to judge that based on the merits, not based on, oh, maybe, maybe this will help this person who really doesn't do very much. Maybe it'll help to inspire them. And it's a difficult line. I wouldn't want to be giving out any of those awards. You, know, you can't help but have a bias come into it. So in a case like that, what do you do? You're going to just pick somebody, and, and it's one of those things. It's like picking the three stars in hockey. I refuse to pick three stars in any game that I'm a part of. And I broadcast hockey games sometimes. And I refuse. If anybody says, and you'll go to visiting rinks, and they will hand out little papers for you to write down who you think the three stars are. I'm not writing it down. I'm not a part of that. You know, that's, that's not something that, that ever turns out. You can't be right. You're always right. You cannot be right in picking the three stars. Just ask anybody who enjoys paying attention to them. Uh, We've got a lot still to come on the show. We're going to actually get a silver lining on our nutrition that, hey, there might actually be a positive to this. First, we're going to have to talk about some negatives before we get to the positive. But there has been some research done by a doctor at the University of Montreal, and it has looked at some foods that you would look at as being, you know, foods that you might eat on a fairly regular basis. And we're going to look at the fact that, yeah, okay, if if you're putting a lot of that in your body, here's what happens. But I want to ask him, and I know what his answer is going in. I want to ask him whether he believes we're completely doomed. Obesity is just going to keep increasing. Type 2 diabetes is going to be as rampant as we've ever seen. It'll it'll jump up over the 70% level someday. Or does he feel that maybe we can turn a corner? Well, he feels maybe we can turn a corner, and he'll explain why that is. We'll take a quick break. I want to come back and point out something just to close out our conversation about young people, and that is what the city of San Francisco is doing about e-cigarettes and vaping and jewels and things like that. It's pretty drastic, and I'm fascinated to know what happens. Those details are next on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up, we're not going to look at whether certain individuals individuals should receive awards based on just the fact that they were there. Graduating from the fourth grade, let's celebrate it. No, I don't want to do that. But we're going to look at measurement and maybe the best way to measure, because we measure a lot right now. You measure yourself against anybody who posts anything. Look at them. How are they able to... Holiday and vacation in Hawaii. We can't holiday and vacation in Hawaii. Look at that person. Uh, she looks so nice in a dress. And I'm, I'm going from, uh, that's, that's not something I've ever said. You know what I mean. But we're going to look at measuring. How we should measure ourselves. That's coming up. But here is a story to watch. Fascinated to see what happens. City of San Francisco has voted to ban... Blanket ban. So none of these are legal anymore. Blanket ban on e-cigarettes. No more. No Juul, no e-cigarettes, no vape. Vaping seemed to come about because it was a way for smokers to try and break themselves of smoking. You still had the habit. It wasn't as, as I guess, 
as bad as smoking a cigarette, and eventually you tried to wean yourself off. Well, then they marketed to kids. And kids have taken these things to a whole new level. Well, not in San Francisco anymore. They will not affect the sale of cigarettes in this, but no more e-cigarettes, no more manufacturing of vaping products, no more distribution of vaping products. It's done. And I want to see what happens from here. We've got news on the way next, and then we'll continue with Hour 2 of London Live. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. One more note, and maybe this is the best message to leave last half hour's conversation with. Comes from Tim. He emailed Mike at 980cfpl.ca. says, Mike, in our day, we had the fear of failure. Fear is a powerful motivator, and our younger generation doesn't have it. I couldn't agree more. And it's one of the hardest things to use as a tool. It really is. But there is no fear. And there will be those who say, okay, well, that gets broken down because of TV and movies. And they'll blame it on that, saying there was a time when you didn't have that window into the adult world. So you were completely naive. So when someone introduced something to you by telling you about it, it was, whoa, that... That happens. Now, TV and movies, you know, a restricted movie was a big deal years ago. Now, nah, not really. By the time a kid is 12, they've seen lots and lots of restricted movies. Sometimes way younger than that. But it's just, it's, it's the messages, it's, it's the presentation of, of that adult world. I don't know if I subscribe to that, but that's one of the theories that's out there. But yeah, we had fear. You didn't mess up because you didn't want to go home. You didn't even know what it was that would happen. Oh, you know, what's what's the old leave it to beaver thing? There was even a cartoon called Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. And I don't think Ward Cleaver ever raised a hand to the beaver. But there was always the threat of, oh, wait till your father hears about this. Uh Oh, what's he going to do? And you didn't even know. But that fear of the unknown was always there. And so you would, well, I'd, I don't even want to find out what he's going to do. So I'm going to stop messing up. And that's kind of the way it worked. And maybe it's, maybe it's just people getting smarter and saying, okay, what are you going to do? And we didn't ask those questions 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. You didn't ask that. Well, what are you going to do? And then all of a sudden, there was that one person who decided to call somebody on it. Well, you don't want to know what's going to happen if you keep doing that. Yeah, I do. Show me. What's going to happen? What's the worst that you could possibly do? Well, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to do, I'm going to be, I'll be really angry. Oh. Is that it? Okay, well, I'm going back to doing what I was doing then. See you later. And that becomes a problem. But that's, ask a teacher. You know, they don't have that ability anymore. And it's not because there is no strap anymore. And it's not because you can't take a kid in high school and grab him by the neck and throw him against the wall and have a stern talking to. 
We can all remember those teachers. I'm not even going to use the name of the teacher, but I know the guy that when he found kids throwing snowballs or his eyes would glow red and they would bug out of his skull. And he would grab people and slam them up against the wall. And he would get in their face. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. But that was a really scary thing to watch when you were in grade 8. So you know what? You didn't throw snowballs anymore. Because you didn't want to be the kid up against the wall with that guy who probably still lives in the dreams of anybody who happened to be in that position. In your face. No way. Don't want to see it. But that, that element, that tool, that is fear, that doesn't exist anymore. And teachers really don't have a lot that they can do. What are you going to do? Uh, I don't know. Send you to the office? Tell your parents? They're not going to believe you. They'll take my side. Yeah. Yeah, they will. They will. And then what do you do? You highlight the good ones. And you try and make sure that they're the ones who who are getting through. And, and you know, that's that's got to be the hardest thing of all. I can't even imagine how you balance that. You know, I do it on a very small level in a college program. I can't imagine how you balance that in the size of classrooms that exist today. So, as we began the conversation, thank you to all of the educators out there. If you are heading somewhere right now, Keep up the good work. I've been impressed by the public and separate school systems. My children have been a part of both of them. Let's talk about comparing and let's talk about measurement because that's something that becomes really important in life, whether you are getting your report card today or whether you're never going to get a report card again, but you're still trying to have a fun go-round in this place. You're still trying to have a good time. You're still trying to do Whatever you can, that's, that's going to be enjoyable. Joining us right now is the CEO and founder of something called Liberationist, Gustavo Rossetti. And I will tweet out a little something that Gustavo wrote at Stubbs980. So I'll tweet out the link to it and you can take a look at it. But we get an opportunity to talk with Gustavo about making comparisons because, Gustavo, you've examined this. So how do you find we are making comparisons between ourselves and other people in today's world? I think that uh, we have a perfectionist approach to results and performance. So in today's world, we're basically celebrating successful people, those who are number one on something, no? either a successful leader, entrepreneur, student, or, or athlete. And basically, we see the world that either you are super, super successful or you are mediocre. But the reality is most of us are not either number one on something, but we're not mediocre. So we need to recover the value of being above average, something that we need to start celebrating. That's really interesting that, yeah, we need more categories than top of the heap or middle of the pack. How do you think we've gotten to this point? I think we, we, we are doing a success driven culture, especially when it comes to social media. So we're measuring our success and our own value and self-esteem based on how many followers we have, what's the readership, how many people have liked your video. We turn that like and follower a measure into into appreciation. 
instead of focusing also on progress. Because, I mean, if you, let's say you're a natural-born artist and you're great painting, right, but you don't push yourself toward your own um, limitations, then that's not really rewarding. When someone maybe doesn't have that nature skills and they weren't born with that talent, but maybe their progress is much bigger than you because they push themselves beyond their limits and they try and they fail and they keep trying until they make better results. So I think I want to start seeing progress and everyone starts from their own baseline, right? So instead of comparing ourselves to others because everyone has their own abilities and natural skills and opportunities, we need to focus focusing more on comparing against our own selves. And that's a unique concept anymore, it seems, because we spend so much time judging ourselves against others, the way we look, what we do, how we fit in. Everybody loathes the idea of going back to a class reunion, thinking, oh, you know, here everybody's done so much more than I have done. We're talking with (laughs) Gustavo Rossetti, CEO and founder of Liberationist, and we're looking at how we do measure ourselves. So you say measuring yourself instead of measuring against somebody else. How do how do you go about measuring against yourself? I think that it's first of all having clarity of what you want to achieve. So what people are doing is not a distraction, no? because today we are so exposed to see what everyone's doing. Everyone's broadcasting their lives all the time. So people get distracted because maybe to your point, a, one of your t- former classmates got a new job and he's making a lot of money and that could be a distraction because, you know, look what he's doing. But instead of focusing on seeing what other people are doing, we need to start taking more time to review and analyze and acknowledge, most importantly, what we are doing and what we are achieving. So becoming our own yardstick instead yeah. of using someone else's achievements and goals as our measure of value and appreciation. That might sound easier to do for someone who's a little bit older when, when we've been talking a lot about education today. When you're looking at someone who's younger and you're trying to encourage them, how do you encourage people to be successful? That's perfect because, I mean, I work mostly with adults and grown-ups at the corporate level, but also I do a lot of work with uh, middle school and high school kids. They're basically they're trying to find what they want to achieve in life. And one thing that's important, and it's an exercise that they don't teach you at school, that we do with kids, it's help them find what's their life purpose. So, no, what's their mission? What do they want to achieve? And, I mean, of course, they're young. They don't have to have a... They don't, their mission or purpose doesn't need to be changing the world, but at least to gain clarity of what are the things that they like, what are the things that boost their passion and makes them feel happy and reward them, and then to focus their energy and priorities and whatever they do in those things that are meaningful to them and not to other people. So it's an exercise about recovering what's your role in life, what makes you happy, and what you want to pursue. Not the career that your parents or your colleagues or your friends or your teacher expects you to follow. And do you think we're doing enough of that right now? We're not. I mean, we're not, and we should do more. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, we need to, instead of focusing, for example, the career, it's a perfect example because parents focus on where are you going to study and what degree do you want to pursue. And that's a means to an end. But first, we need to answer the, what do you want to achieve? No? Do you want to help other people? Do you want to uh, be a creative person? What are the things that drives you as a human being? And then, which career path, that might be many, 
can help you achieve that. So I think we're starting uh, with the wrong question. So a career doesn't define who you are as a person. It's just one of the many paths that you choose to fulfill your purpose. And one thing I find a lot working with adults is most people are frustrated because they choose a career or they're in the middle of a career that doesn't necessarily make them happy or they don't thrive. And they just feel that they are stuck, but they don't know how to say to themselves, look, maybe I made a mistake or maybe this career path was great until now, but now we need to switch. And that's the most important thing that we need to realize instead of seeing ourselves as perfect that we can always build, we can always make changes and adjust our goals and paths. And that aiming for being above average, you're not necessarily going to be the best of the best at what you are good at doing, but that above average, that's a key. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, Gustavo, thank you so much for the conversation today. Really appreciate the time. No, my pleasure, and hope we inspire people to focus on how they can become better themselves instead of comparing themselves to other people. Okay? Well said. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Gustavo Rossetti, CEO and founder of Liberationists, on measuring against yourself and aiming for that above average. That's, that's something we don't do enough because you're always bombarded by what other people are up to. Let's take a break. Up next... Let's talk about somebody who is being honored. In fact, she's entering a competition that will take her to Kazan, Russia, where she will find out how she stacks up against the world's best in painting vehicles. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Have you ever heard of the World Skills Competition? If the answer is no, that's about to change. Maggie Friesen, who is at Fanshawe, is going to be competing in the 2019 World Skills Competition and joins us now on London Live to talk all about it. Maggie, how is your day going? It's going pretty good. It's kind of warm out, so other than that, it's good. Now, you are preparing for something coming up this summer. I don't know what the temperature is like in Kazan, Russia in August. Hopefully it's nice, although you may find yourself indoors a lot. Tell us where you're headed and why. Um, I'm headed to Kazan, Russia, and they're hosting the World Skills this year, which it's a huge competition covering multiple trades. And so the best of each country goes and competes in their trade to see who's the top. And when we're talking about a wide range, this this is really wide. Where is your skill specialty? Um, I'm in car painting. Okay, so car painting. And that will be a competition to see who is best of the best when it comes to painting vehicles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. That's and I mean this this is phenomenal stuff. Tell us a little bit about what makes a great car painter. A great car painter is fast at what they do and they know which product is appropriate for what procedure. They know how to handle different materials, uh, like what a panel is made of, and they know how to deal with different temperatures because coatings will react differently to temperature and humidity, and. Basically, they have a huge arsenal of products and tools to choose from, and the, the best painter can choose the right equipment and the right coating for the job, and they can do it quickly and efficiently. Wow. All right. Well, I mean, that's, that's an awful lot for the rest of us to think about. When you do it, how much of it is thought? How much do you just 
You just know what's happening. Um, I guess I would say the biggest part that is not just coming from natural ability, well, not natural ability, lots of practice, but the biggest thing for me is uh, products that are unfamiliar. And so that's probably like 20%. And then like things in the competition that you can't guess, like we don't, we won't know the projects that we're working on until I think four days before the competition. So if you don't know a lot of things already, then it'll be too late. We're talking with Maggie Friesen, and we're talking about World Skills 2019, which is a massive worldwide competition that brings together individuals and hosts a skills competition based on different trades. And Maggie, as she's told us, is a car painter. Now, you have been doing some pretty interesting training. This isn't just, hey, go to Fanshawe, make sure you work out, stay a little late, talk with some of the instructors. No, where were you recently? I went to Denmark, Sokoborg, Denmark, um, which is far from here, and we had a, a little mini competition. And how did that go? Um, it, was, it was really hard. Uh, I didn't do so well, but after this training, like now my, the rest of my training can be headed more in the right direction because my trainer has never been to World Skills, and so we both had no idea what they were looking for. It was so different from the Canadian competitions that it was like, okay, now we know which direction to go. So hopefully things will be better from here on out. This is basically the Olympics of what you hope to do as a career then, is it? Yeah, I would say that's kind of a good uh, example of it. So what do you have to do between now and when you actually leave for Russia? Uh. I need to figure out how much time I can possibly commit to just practicing, like just getting things down to muscle memory and researching as much as I can about the different products that I'll be handling. They've given us a list of products, and so the products that aren't available in Canada, I'll just have to do as much research on as I can, and then the rest uh, comes from practice. Is the list of those products that aren't available in Canada long, or is it just a couple of things there is a couple things. And then also I've got to learn their European English. Like they have, so there's like a language within a trade that most people wouldn't understand unless you knew what we're talking about. But then there's the European version of those terms. And so that caught me off guard because I was like, wait a minute, the words that I know for these products, they're not even called that here. So it takes a bit to wrap your head around. And you're basically going on their terms and not the North American mm-hmm. ones. Well, Maggie, we wish you the best of luck. Maggie Friesen joining us. She will be taking part in World Skills 2019 in Kazan, Russia. For you, dream job. If you could pick one for the rest of your life, do you have one in mind yet or is that still to come? Uh, I don't know about a dream job, but I really do like, I, I find the auto body industry is just really fascinating. We'll see where it takes me. Well, you are already incredibly knowledgeable. Uh, We did get an email, and I haven't touched this just yet. We got an email from Matt saying, how did Maggie get involved in this? How did you get selected for this? Um, Well, it started out when I was at Fanshawe. My instructors asked me if I wanted to compete in the provincial one just to see how I'd do, and I, I only got second place the first time, so that meant I wasn't qualified for nationals, but I went again a second time and got first, so you basically work your way through the ranks. So if you get first in provincials or whoever the top 
ranking competitor is, they go on to the national competition. And then from the national competition, the top ranking age eligible competitor goes on to World Skills every two years. World Skills is only every two years. Well, incredible. What an opportunity. Maggie, best of luck. We'll have to check in when you come back. Thank you. Maggie Friesen, headed to the 2019 World Skills Competition in Kazan, Russia. Couple things still to come on London Live. One is another opportunity for you to win tickets to go and see the Rolling Stones in two days from now. That's one. We are also going to get some optimistic news about what we're eating and what it's doing to our bodies. And we've got to take a second to talk about what's happening in Toronto, where Toronto Mayor John Tory has spoken up against the taking down of basketball nets. All right. I got to take a few minutes and figure out why they were taking them down in the first place. What is going on? We'll try and have that story when we return. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. You know how we get caught complaining about, oh, well, that's a London thing. Man, people in London, they don't signal when they change lanes. They're always uptight about noise after 11. Those London people. Okay, if you're someone who's ever said anything like that, then I did a little looking into the basketball story in Toronto. This has nothing to do with the Raptors, although Canada basketball did have a very good tweet about this that I'll tell you about in a minute. Here's the situation. In Toronto, and I had no idea this was taking place, basketball hoops in public areas, so public basketball courts, anybody can step on and be Kawhi Leonard all they want. Those get taken down at 6 p.m. every day. What? Yes, city workers go around to all of the outside basketball courts and they take down the rims at 6 p.m. every day. And why do you think they do this? Um, um, you're not coming up with anything good, are you? Well, here's why they do this. They do this because it is felt that people who live nearby should be entitled to enjoy their homes without the noise of the basketball court. Come on. No, that's not right. They take them down because, and this is a statement from the city, they take them down because of the rights of nearby homeowners to enjoy their homes in the evening. So in other words, what happened? Somebody complained at some point and got to someone else who could do something about it. And this was their solution. Well, they can't play basketball if we remove their hoops. So that's what we'll do. We'll take down their hoops. That will teach those people to be quiet, the ones who are always running up and down those basketball courts, cheering, trash-talking. You should hear what they say when they trash-talk. Sometimes they use bad words. It's terrible. It's not what I want in my city. That's what you're hearing. Give me a break. So, 
a video of this of a guy taking down the hoop at 6 p.m. as a bunch of kids watch him do it has been circulated. And that's where it came to the attention of Mayor John Tory. This has been happening for a while. So Tory has stepped up and said, no, 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 no. This isn't going to happen. These hoopers are staying up. And anyone who wants to say, well, I need the enjoyment of my house, uh, then move. You know, seriously. If you live near Labatt Park or if you live near somewhere else that is going to have bright lights, that's where you live. I always got a kick out of the people around Labatt Park who got annoyed at either the lights or the foul balls. Hi, you're annoyed? I don't understand why. The park was here first. This is the oldest standing baseball field in North America. We've been honored. We've been recognized. And because you decided to set up, well, there was a house there. I bought it. Okay. Do your due diligence next time. Location, location, location. You want to live near a ballpark? There's going to be ballpark stuff that goes on. But you always think, oh, that's just a London thing. No, it isn't. And that proves it. We'll take a break. Next up, we are going to be in conversation with Dr. Jean-Claude Mubarak, an assistant professor at the University of Montreal in nutrition. He's actually got a silver lining about the way we're eating. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. You are what you eat, right? Eh, kind of. We all like to indulge in some stuff every once in a while. That's okay, but uh, your waistline gets to tell you as you get older. You can't indulge as much as you used to and get away with it. Well, what about things like ultra-processed foods? We're bombarded by all kinds of advertising that basically deal with ultra-processed foods, and we'll deal with what those are in just a minute. But there is some new research from the University of Montreal that has done some some looking at ultra-processed foods at their effects. We're going to talk about that, but I also want to talk about the whole picture. Are we getting better or are we just doomed? Should we just pack it in? That's enough. You know, we failed as a society. We don't eat well. So pack it in. We'll get to that a little later on. Please welcome to London Live our next guest, Dr. Jean-Claude Mubarak, an assistant professor at the University of Montreal, author of this particular study. Dr. Mubarak, let's just begin with what your research has found. Well, we've uncovered that Canadian adults consuming the highest amount of ultra-processed food have a 31% higher odds of obesity, 37 percent higher odds of diabetes and 60% higher odds of high blood pressure compared to those consuming the least amount. So the more ultra process you consume, the higher risk are of several chronic diseases. Dr. Mubarak, sometimes we'll hear the words processed foods, or even in this case, ultra processed foods, and you'll think, yeah, I should probably stay away from those things. But we don't take time to break down what the ultra processed part of that really is. How are we designating ultra-processed? What sorts of things are you looking at? Yeah, so uh, processed foods could be uh, dried food, frozen food, all kinds of food. And there's nothing wrong with processing per se. Uh, processed food are modified food, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Ultra-processed food are made up. They're foods that are made up of additives and refined ingredients. They are formulation of industrial ingredients and additives. And so to identify those, 
uh, one needs to look at the ingredient list, and whenever there's an additive, a color, flavor, or some kinds of ingredients that you don't use at home, like emulsifiers, gluten, it's an ultra-processed food. Okay, makes sense. And from that, you find calories, you find sodium, you find saturated fats. There's something called free sugars. What, what is a free sugar? A free sugar is sugar that is not bound to the cell. So it's a sugar that is, that is, that is uh, outside the cellular, the, the cell, and that uh, uh, its impact on the body is much more strong than a natural sugar that you would found within fruits, within grains. And so free sugar are, if you want, added sugar to soft drinks, to cookies, to cakes, and the amount of free sugar of sodium and saturated fat we found in ultra-processed food is much higher than the amount of, of those nutrients that we found in minimally processed food. And so ultra-processed food are detrimental for health, not just because they're loaded with salt, sugar, and fat, but also uh, because they lack minerals, vitamins, and fiber and protein. We're talking with Dr. Jean-Claude Mubarak, who is an assistant professor of nutrition at the University of Montreal. We're looking into research that goes back to some data from Statistics Canada on ultra-processed foods. And Dr. Mubarak, maybe now that we have a a picture of what these foods are, what is in these foods, let's look back at those numbers again. How much higher would the risk of type 2 diabetes or obesity be? So for obesity, it would be 30, 31% higher odds, uh, 35, 37% for diabetes, and 60% for high blood pressure. But basically, the take-home message is that consumption, a high consumption of these, prod, of, of these ultra-processed products is detrimental to overall health. So there's not only weight gain attached to this problem, problem, but there's a lot of diabetes and high blood pressure. Now, one of the problems that we have, and people will say this all the time, it's hard or it's expensive to eat healthy. If you want to go through and you want to buy a lot of fruits and vegetables, they're a lot more expensive than some of these ultra-processed foods that we can find just in, in little packages or you grab a bag of this or, or a little package of that, that it's more difficult. Do you see that as, as being something that needs to be addressed by policy, let's say? Absolutely. We need to work on the environment so that minimally processed food are more available, affordable, and uh, um, marketed. Because right now, it's, it's the contrary. Right now, ultra-processed food are much more available, affordable, and marketed than real food. And so I believe that beyond individual choices, we need to change the food system so that we have a food system that is conducive to healthy choices. Advertising and marketing, you mentioned that. I don't know if either of us could sit down and remember the last time that somebody advertised a banana to us or advertised eating rice. It's been since the rice-a-roni treat. I I think that was probably a processed food way, way back in the day. Why is it that, that we see that, you think, that we don't have natural foods advertised to us and yet we are bombarded by other stuff? Well, ultra-processed food are really easy to market because they have characters, they are unique, they have specific brands. So it's easy to, to market uh, uh, in ultra-processed food than uh, to market, for example, tomatoes or potatoes that have less 
um, differences, right? Uh, potatoes, they all look alike or they seem to look alike. So ultra-processed food, because they are unique products that, that have specific characters, uh, colors, and design, they are sometimes easy to market. And market not, uh, they are presented as option uh, to overcome our anxiety, our stress, or, or, or choices that will uh, bring us love and, and happiness. So they're marketed not just uh, not for their nutritional quality, but for, 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 for factors beyond just diet. And so this is something that affects our food culture and the way we relate to food. And we, be, we become ready to consume and obsess in a way for, uh, with consumption. Dr. Jean-Claude Mubarak, Assistant Professor of Nutrition at the University of Montreal, joining us as we talk about new research that he has put together based on data from Statistics Canada on what ultra-processed foods means. Uh, we have certainly effects of obesity and effects of type 2 diabetes already in our society, but Dr. Mubarak, we always hear that this is going to worsen. This, this We haven't even seen the worst of it yet. What do you see coming for us when it comes to the health of individuals based on what we are eating now? Well, I, I do see a certain shift in the mindset of people and in the mindsets of governments in the U.S., in Canada, in France, where we are now valuing cooking more than we did before. And so if there is a trend towards bringing back cooking back into our lives and trying to think about how can we cook collectively? How can we, uh, uh, how can we design a system where uh, a real food will be offered and cooked in hospitals, in schools? Because it's going to be really hard today to, to, to cook three meals at home. And so we need, uh, we have this trend where we are bringing back cooking into our lives. But there's also a trend towards reducing meat consumption, which is absolutely important. However, that trend, reducing meat consumption, um, sometimes translates into uh, plant-based ultra-processed products, such as the Beyond Burger. So we have to be careful. In We need to have a system that is plant-forward, but also based on real food. We, we cannot forget that we, we need to eat real food and minimally processed food. And so uh, we have to be careful about uh, um, the, the choices and the decision we make in our system so that we have choices that are holistic and that cover all aspects of our diet, not just uh, the impact on the environment, but also impact on physical and mental health of culture. And so, so I, I do see a bright future where we're going to be thinking and innovating about the way we bring back cooking and real food into our lives. Well, you know what? I love the fact that you have some optimism based on this topic because we don't hear that very often. Dr. Mubarak, thank you so much for talking about your research and thank you for your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show. You are very welcome. Dr. Jean-Claude Mubarak, Assistant Professor at the University of Montreal in Nutrition. Before we break and give you an opportunity to win tickets to go and see the Rolling Stones, let's go to the phones with Dax. Dax, what do you have for us? I just had a quick question for the doctor um, on the modified foods, just on the fact that uh, I live with chronic pancreatitis. They've tried, I don't have diabetes. I don't have gallbladder issues. I don't drink much. But for some reason, I cannot find a diet or a nutritionist to tell me what is the proper things to eat 
to keep myself from being inflamed and being in pain constantly. Okay, well, you know what? He unfortunately is gone, but I can I can send him a note and see if I can maybe find out where he could look next. Okay, perfect. Thank okay. you. Okay. All right, Dax, let me uh, let me put you on hold. We'll get a number so that I can reach you afterward, okay? Okay, thanks. Okay. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and give you a chance to win tickets to go. Actually, why don't we do that now? Kelly, can we do that now? Can we do our Rolling Stones? No, we'll do it We'll do it in a second. Let's take a quick break, then we'll come back. We'll do some Rolling Stones. One more chance for you to win today and head off to see them on Saturday. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Let's close out the show today, giving you one more chance to win tickets to go and see the Rolling Stones. They're going to be at Burles Creek. On Saturday, and they are going to be there with Sloan. They are going to be there with uh, the rest of the lineup is is pretty amazing. They're going to be there with Sloan. They are going to be there with, and I'm going to grab the rest of the lineup because all of a sudden I can't. I thought I could remember what it was going to be. Okay, while I get the lineup. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to play you a lyric from the Rolling Stones, and if you can name the song that it comes from, give us a call right now, 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. Teach me to work without a net. If you can be the first person to identify it, you are off to the show. Here comes this lyric. The difference in the clothes she wears down to me, the change has come. One more time. The difference in the clothes she wears down to me, the change has come. Okay. It does rhyme, if you're looking for the name of the song. 519-643-2222. We will have a winner from Kelly in just a moment. But, as promised, here is the way that this is going. Oh, hang on. We've got a winner already. I was going to go into everything. All right. Bob, can you name that song? Under my thumb. You are off to see the Rolling Stones on Saturday. Right on, right on. Thanks, man. That's great. Fantastic. It'll be about the third time I see these guys. Excellent. All right, hang on. We'll get some information from you. Under my thumb is what we were looking for. So, I finally have the lineup. The Glorious Sons, The Beaches, Sloan, One Bad Son, and a late night party with Dwayne Gretzky, all part of of Canada Rocks. So tomorrow, we are going to have our very final opportunity for you to win Stone's tickets. One more opportunity. And we won't make it any harder than we have made it already. I I promise you that much. Coming up tomorrow on the show, we are going to talk about a beard and mustache champion because we're going to be able to speak with a beard and mustache champion. Now, I want you to picture something This, you know how I always say, I wish that radio had more pictures, and thanks to social media, we make that happen from time to time. But in order to picture this guy, I want you to visualize in your head, he has a beard and mustache that when he goes into competition, it kind of goes out Yosemite Sam style, and it actually goes higher than his head. It curls up higher than his head. We'll speak with him on the show. We'll also talk about sleeping and a few other things. That comes up tomorrow between 1 and 3 on London Live. Coming up next, Jacqueline LaBelle with news. Thanks to Kelly Wong for her help today. London Live brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. You are listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.